Okay, good morning, everyone. Good to see you all. If you haven't met me, my name is Stuart. I'm the leader of the church. Very warm welcome to you. And it's particularly a warm welcome if you have entered into the festive season by wearing a Santa hat or some Christmas jumper or something. If you notice, they gave me a Christmas t-shirt, which means it's really cold. That's all I'm just saying. I'm, hopefully, if I move around, it's I'm trying to warm myself up uh, this morning. Now, what we're doing today is we're starting our new sermon series, Let the Light Shine, which is our Christmas sermon series, which will be this week. It'll be next Sunday, which is our carol service, and then the Sunday after where we're doing our service followed by a Christmas party and pizza. So we've got three weeks of this um, coming up. And um, if we finished last week our sermon series on Elijah, if you've missed that, you can go to our website, catch up on stuff. We had some great time there. We did the well-being journey as part of that, looked at the life of Elijah. And one of the things uh, for Christmas, I don't know if you've noticed, um, round about, is how much we use lights getting ready for Christmas. We've got some on our stage here. Um, but if you go out into the town, there are Christmas lights up. People hang them on their homes on the outside. We found um, a couple of crazy houses that we go and look at with the boys every year. We're going back to, there's a new one on Monmouth Drive that has taken a, a few years off, but now is back. So if you ever drive down there when it's gone dark, there are lights there. We put lights in our homes. We put lights on our Christmas tree. Who's got their Christmas tree up already? Oh my giddy on. I didn't think it'd be that many of you. Okay, it is December now, so you've got to pass. Who put it up in November? There are 12 days of Christmas and none of them are in November. I just want to make, just say that publicly. But anyway, we're December now, we've got it up. And we put lights up for a number of reasons. One, they look amazing and they're beautiful. They also, they reveal stuff, so they, they light up uh, wherever they are and they help us find our way. And we find lights in this world in so many different places, and not just physical lights. There are people who kind of try and show us the way with their metaphorical lights. We have government leaders and politicians say, if you do this, if you follow the way we want you to go, everything will be all right with the world. We want to show the light of how to live, how society should be. We have um, ideologies and gurus and say, this is the way you should think about the world. This is the way you should act in the world. This is the way it should be. They want to shine their light on it. We have social media influencers who say, if you look at it this way, if you get involved in this, we have lifestyle uh, blogs and uh, life coaches who say, this is the way you should live, and advertisers and filmmakers who are kind of pushing their light, saying, this is what life should look like, this is what life should be, this is how we should live. And we have to make some choices in this as we approach this, which light are we going to live by? Which light are we going to live by? And over against what the world offers, we have one alternative, which is Jesus himself. And he made the astounding claim that he was the light. He was the light that has come to all mankind. And so we have to make some choices as we enter this season and we look at the light and we think about the light. What are we going to do with him? Because he's the one who made the bold claim that he was God himself, he was the creator of everything, and he's come into his creation to shine the light to all of us. And we've got a verse that we're going to use to kind of frame this series, frame this series, frame where we're going. It's from John chapter 1, verse 9. I'm going to read it, and then we're going to get into some passages to kind of um, elaborate on this. And it says this, John 1, it's 9, it says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And this was John, the Apostle John, a dear friend of Jesus, who wrote down his story afterwards, and we have it in our Bible, in John's Gospel, and he was trying to describe what it meant for Jesus to come into the world. 
And this is one of the phrases he came up with. This is one of the ways he described it. And John describes Jesus as the true light, which is over and against all other lights, which would be counterfeit when compared to Jesus. They might think they're shining. They, think, they might think they're showing the way. They might think they're revealing truth and saying, this is how you should live. This is the best thing. But over and against Jesus, they are not. Jesus is the true light. And what we're going to do over the next three weeks is we're going to go through this verse and look at each section. So this week, we're going to look at the true light. Next week, we're going to look at the bit where it's light for everyone. And then the final bit on the third week will be the fact that he has come into the world for each of us. So we're looking at the true light today. So the big idea is if you want to see by the true light, it is based on knowing who he is. If you want to see by the true light, it is based on knowing who he is. And what we're going to do is we're going to dive into a passage and go through it and see what the Bible says about this true light. So if you've got a Bible, can you go to Luke chapter 1? Luke chapter 1, we're going to read a familiar part of the Christmas story. Familiar part of the Christmas story. So Luke chapter 1, and we're going to start at verse 26. Verse 26. Now just give you a quick recap of what's gone before, just to context it. This is Luke's gospel. Luke was someone who did a lot of research, a smart, intelligent man, and then he decided to write a, basically a two-part story account of Jesus, which we have in Luke's gospel, and then we have in the Acts of the Apostles, which come next. He wrote them both. And this is the beginning of his account, his first account, Luke's gospel. And it begins with a story um, of um, a miraculous birth, and that is the birth of John the Baptist, who is the forerunner to Jesus. And an angel comes to Zechariah, who's an old man, a priest, and he says, you're going to have a son, your wife's going to have a son. He doesn't believe him, um, and as a result, he is struck mute. And then the angel speaks to Elizabeth and says, you're going to have a son, and they conceive and have a son, and that son was going to be full of the Holy Spirit from conception, and he was going to grow up, and he was going to be great in the sight of the Lord, and he was going to be a forerunner to the one, the Messiah, the true light who was going to come. And that was John the Baptist. And then what we've got in our story now is the second part, which is where the angel comes to Mary to say that she is going to give birth to a son who will be called Jesus. So we're going to look at two parts of this. We're going to look at the angel's arrival, then the angel's message. So if you've got your Bible, we'll read the first couple of verses there. Uh, Luke 1, verse 26. It says this, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from John, sorry, sent from God, <laughs> John, John's the other dude. He was sent from God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. A few things about that. First one, sixth month. The sixth month is a reference to what's just gone before, which I've just told you, which is the fact that Zechariah and Elizabeth have got pregnant when they're old. They've had no children. She's barren, but God has done a work there. They are now pregnant uh, with John the Baptist, who's going to come and be the forerunner to Jesus. So six months after that, the angel Gabriel comes to um, Mary. And the angel is an angelic messenger. Gabriel is one of the two named angels in the Bible, the other one being Michael. And he appears when he's spoken already uh, to Zechariah and Elizabeth. And then he appeared back in Daniel um, where he came and spoke to Daniel. And the appearance of an angelic messenger means that God is on the move. God is doing something. He is bringing a message directly from God, the word of God to people. And so in doing so, he is unveiling God's will. So we have what's happening here is God is breaking into the world and he is revealing his will. So in the sixth month after he'd already done it with Zechariah and Elizabeth, he's now coming and speaking to Mary. And he goes to a place called Nazareth. Now Nazareth, you might be familiar with because it's mentioned in the Christmas story, um, but it was basically uh, a nowhere place. 
It wasn't a significant place. It was a backwater place sort of in the north of the country. It was removed from the epicenter of Israel at the time, which would have been Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the capital. Jerusalem was where they had the temple, where they went to on all the feast days. It was a place of religious power. It was a place of political power. It was where it was at. That's where you went if you wanted something to happen. It's where where things were going on. It was a significant place. Nazareth was basically not Jerusalem as far as it could be. And so it's this backwater out of the way place and the angel goes there and he there's two people who are mentioned in this and it's Joseph and Mary Joseph and Mary and it says they were betrothed to each other now what does that mean now what that means is that Mary would have reached marry marryable age marriageable age so she would have been in her mid-teens likely and she would have been betrothed to Joseph which is like our modern engagement only more so so they were engaged, it would have been a formal arrangement, there would have been a written signing of a document, so it was legally binding, there would have been an exchanging of a bride price, where the family of um, Joseph would have paid money to the family of Mary, for Mary, because one uh, family was losing a daughter, while one family was gaining a daughter, so there would have been a, a kind of renumeration in that, that's how they would have done it. Uh, the uh, betrothal was legally binding, it could not be broken but by divorce, which is what we get later in the story when all the things play out and one of the things was Joseph was an honorable man and he said, well actually I'll divorce Mary, you can just break off the engagement, it had to go through a process. Uh, so that's where they were and during that period they were considered husbands and wives although they weren't actually living and sleeping together, that just that wasn't part of it but that was, they were considered a husband and wife and they were working towards the marriage day when the marriage was consummated um, and so that's where they are, so they're betrothed and, but it actually says about them, it doesn't say much, it says one thing about each of them. It says, for Joseph, he was from the house of David, which means he's from the line of kings. This is David, King David from our Old Testament. He was the greatest of Israel's kings. He defeated the enemies of Israel. He defeated Goliath. This is a big famous story and a whole bunch of other things. Uh, decided to build the temple, got all the materials together that his son Solomon can build. He was a worshiper of God, described after God's own heart. And Joseph was basically one of his descendants. And that's the only thing noteworthy about Joseph that Luke writes down. One of his ancestors, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, was a pretty important. Joseph himself, not much else about him. And Mary, in one sense, even less so, only says one thing about Mary twice. She's a virgin. She doesn't have sex. That's it. That's the only noteworthy thing about her. So these were two ordinary individuals in a nowhere place, out of the way, and an angel comes and speaks to them. And so we now have the angel's message, the angel's message. The first two verses there says, so the angel came and he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. So the angel comes and appears to Mary I imagine that being pretty terrifying. That's not normal. That doesn't happen. And so this angel appears and he describes her at the beginning. He says, greetings, which is kind of the hi. You know, ta-da, I'm here. And then he calls her favored one, which almost functions as a name for Mary. She is the favored one. And that refers to the unmerited favor and grace of God upon her. 
And this is compared to the fact that what we know about Mary thus far is basically nothing. There's nothing significant about her. There's nothing interesting about her. And that's in nothing noteworthy other than she was a virgin, which would have been fine, all, similar for all the girls kind of that age. And it's like, but she has got the favor of God upon her. She has the favor of God. She, it's not something she's striven after. It's not something she's claimed for herself. It's not something she's tried to earn. It's just God's grace being poured out on an individual. And she is now going to play a central role in the purposes of God and the salvation history of all mankind. And then the angel says, the Lord is with you, which means the presence of God is upon you. God is with you. He is going to guard you. He is going to provide for you. He is going to protect you. He is with you in this situation as a great encouragement. And sandwiched between those two things, it says Mary was troubled, which I can understand. She's a young girl, teenager, you know, updating her Instagram, whatever she was doing then. <laughs> and an angel appears. I'd have got a selfie. I, just, I, I would have said, you might just stand there. This is going to go down well. And got the likes of it. Anyway, so anyway, the angel appears and he says greetings. And the next thing he says, do not be afraid. It must have been a terrifying, overwhelming experience for this young girl. But he says, the favor of God is on you. God's message to Mary was, began with grace. It began with the fact that I've chosen you, I've called you, I've loved you. You haven't earned this, you've done nothing. But God in his mercy has set his heart upon her and says, I'm going to use you for my glory and my purposes. And so much so, it's, it's mentioned twice in that little section at the beginning of the end. So there's the, the kind of the greeting of the message. Now we get to the what of the message, the substance of the message. Verse 31, it says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And now we get to kind of the meat of the angel's message. And that is she is going to conceive and bear a son. And they're going to call him Jesus. And Jesus just means the Lord saves and so that is what is going to happen. And the angel then outlines five things that are going to be, um, that are going to mark this child, that are going to be significant about his child. The first one is he will be great. Greek there is mega. We know that. Everything's mega. He will be great, which means he will be mighty. And this is an unqualified statement about him. He's just going to be great, period, in every possible way and if we go back to the section that's just come with the birth of John it says about John he will be great in the sight of God so there's one kind of there's an avenue of John's greatness he will be great in the sight of God because he's going to do God's purpose and proclaim the way for the Messiah Jesus is just going to be great he is just great that's it end of all things Jesus is great and so we have one miraculous birth and then we have the miraculous birth with Jesus coming, he is greater in every way to John and um, to John who's come forward. And Luke puts them side by side to underline that. So Jesus is going to be great in all things. The next thing he says, he will be son of the Most High, which is a reference to him being son of God. John before him would said he would be the prophet of the Most High. That's pretty cool. That's important. Jesus, uh-uh. he's son of the Most High. He has a more higher position, a greater position, a more significant position than John, who's come forward. It points to his divinity, 
not just going to be a great man, he is going to be a God man. It says he will sit on the throne of his father David, which means he will be a king. When you talk about David, line of David, the only thing you're talking about is kingly authority, kingly ruling. That is who Jesus will be. So he will be divine, he will be a king. He will rule over the house of Jacob. That is a reference to Israel, God's people. So Jesus is going to be the ruler of God's people. So he's going to be a king, but he's going to be king, the king of all God's people. And then it says, for, uh, his kingdom uh, forever will never end. And so there is an eternal dynamic to it. So not only is he going to be king, but then kings grow old. And eventually they die. And eventually they're succeeded by their son. No. This king will be king forever. So this, this person who's coming, this Jesus, he will be God. He will be eternal. He will be a king over God's people forever. That's great. That's who this one is going to be. And this is the message that the angel brings to Mary. And they clearly point to this child who is coming is going to be significant with a capital S. He is going to be the most significant child ever born in the history of the world. And then there comes the obvious questions. We've had the greeting, we've had the what, and now we have the how. And Mary said to the angel, maybe awkwardly, how will this be? Since I'm a virgin, the, the normal things that happen to make babies haven't happened. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So Mary asked the obvious question, how's this going to be? She's seeking an answer in faith. How's this going to work? How's God going to do it? And Gabriel points straight to divine activity and he says uh, four things about this child which basically come in two parallel pairs so they're kind of they're linked so the first thing he says the Holy Spirit will come upon you and overshadow you and this is similar language we find in the book of Acts when they're praying the early church Jesus died ascended gone to heaven and what do he say do when he gets to heaven he said I'm going to send the Holy Spirit upon you and they're praying and the Holy Spirit comes upon them. So there's the same sort of idea at play here. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. You are going to be someone filled with the Holy Spirit. And again, this, this contrasts with John's birth that comes beforehand. John um, said, it said about John that he would be full of the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. Jesus would be conceived by the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. Again, significant, greater. And as a result... He said he will be called Holy, the Son of God, which are similar things. Holy means uh, set apart. It's a word used in our Bibles more than any other word to describe God in just sheer number. If you basically go through your Old Testament, holy is just a word that comes up again and again and again. And it describes the otherness of God. What makes God God? What is the godness of God? Well, he is holy. He has ultimate purity. He is uh, a different level, a different order to everything around. And Jesus would be holy. So he would be a holy, there would be a godness to him, but also he'd be set apart for God's purpose. And they've described him as the Son of God. And this is a reference to Jesus' role as uh, God the Son coming to earth, but as the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, the one that people, uh, God's people have been looking forward to, the one that he was going to come and lead his people. He was going to be the chosen ruler, the chosen king. And so to sort of bring this all together, what do we find out about the true light coming into the world? Well, his name is Jesus. He was going to be God the Son. 
He was born of a virgin by the power of God, which means he is both fully God. He has the complete divinity of God. He is God himself in all his completeness, but at the same time, he is fully man because he is born of a woman, grown in her womb, and born as any other child is born. And so we have this person coming into the world, this true light that shines in the darkness, who is both fully God and fully man. And so what can we learn from this? A few points I want to just draw out, um, apply to us, and then we will finish. What can we learn from this? First thing is the true light was promised long ago. The true light was promised long ago. We read in Luke here, and we read it in John's Gospel in our New Testament about the coming of the true life. But that's not the first time that he's mentioned. That's not the first time um, that he sort of appears on the scene. That's the climax to the story of his coming. And that story of his coming goes right back into our Old Testament, right back into hundreds of years of history. We find in that passage that Joseph was from the house of David, from the line of David. And so we look at the life of David and we find that God spoke to David saying, actually, you're my king now, you serve me, but one day someone is coming from your line, from your lineage, who will sit on your throne forever. 2 Samuel 7, verse 16, he said, so there's someone coming, there's a king coming who won't just grow old and die like you are, David, and your son, and your sons and sons after that. There is one coming from your line who will be that. You will be that. We go forward... um, And we look what the angel says, and he said that they will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And this is an allusion to Daniel, book of Daniel, where Gabriel ironically turns up again. Daniel 7, where we have an image. Daniel has this kind of a dream, this vision, and he sees God enthroned in heaven, the ancient of days, mighty and holy, sitting on a throne. And it's like, wow, but then someone comes before the throne, someone else, someone different, and he comes before the throne, and he's described like a son of man. One of the titles given to Jesus. And it says, the one on the throne says to the Son of Man, you will rule forever and ever. And it's a prophetic statement. It's a vision looking forward to Jesus is the one who's going to come and reign over God's kingdom forever and ever. And then we like go back to the um, prophet Isaiah. And Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 7 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give to you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us, all pointing forward to Jesus. And they're just a few of the many, many times throughout our Old Testament that points to saying there is one coming, one greater, the true light that was spoken about is coming into the world. And so when we read this, we don't read this as some kind of new new development, a plan B that God's put in place or some fluke accident, some child kind of fitted a few things that have been said in the past from ancient texts. Now this is God breaking into human history as he had promised and his plan and the true light was coming into the world to shine and show men the way forward, to show the men and women to salvation. And for us sitting here today, When we think about Jesus' birth, particularly at this time of year, Jesus' coming, we can take heart that God is still working out his plans and purposes. He hasn't quit. It's still going on. The fact that he'd planned it all and then Jesus coming and that Jesus ascended heaven and sent the Spirit on the church and we're still going, God is still working out his purposes right here, right now. And no matter what we see around us, 
in the world. How's your 2021 been? <laughs> We've got how many days left? Do the math. 31 take 5. Not many days left, and then we'll be into 2022. Who's looking forward to 2022 being a little better than 2021? Yeah, it's, it's had its ups and downs. 2021 has, hasn't it? I'm hoping 2022 has more ups than downs. But either way, we can take cart and we can trust in the Lord and say, actually, God, you are, you are working out your purposes. Because of what we see in the past and we see your hand at work, we can take heart now and trust you now that whatever the future holds as we wind out this year and then on into 2022, that you are in control. You are working out your plans and purposes. And we can trust you because you are good and gracious and kind, but you're also a sovereign ruler over everything. And so we know your plans and purposes will be worked out. And we can worship him and we can put our faith in him. And we can call out to him. We can bring our cares before him. And we can remind ourselves that he is God and he is ruling over all things. And we need to make a faith-based choice now. Say, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to look to you. I'm going to follow you. No matter what's happening in the world around you. We've got the Christmas devotional that we put out that Mel wrote. Uh, we've been doing it at our family. I don't know if you're doing it. But it's just another opportunity. If you've got um, time, use it. To remind yourselves, there's verses, and we've been doing that with the kids, reading the verses um, and doing things to remind ourselves that God is still in control. God is still leading us forward. He's got his plans and purposes. Second thing, uh, the true light was coming to ordinary people. God delights in his wisdom to use the humble and the weak and the small things of this world to display his glory. He loves the weak and the obscure to show his grace and mercy because through that, his light shines more strongly because then no one else can get the glory but him alone by using weak insignificant people in the eyes of the world and Joseph and Mary just summed that up they had no position they had no authority they had no money they were just ordinary people going about their business going about their lives and God breaks in and his light shines upon them and Mary is called favored one because she's going to become the mother of God the Son. And that's just God's grace and mercy poured out on her. And God loves to use the weak so that he get alone gets the credit. And we can't take that. And this is great news. <laughs> this is great news. Which means you don't have to be qualified to be used by God. You don't have to be qualified to serve God. You don't have to have passed your exams. Got your GCEs. Done well at school. Your face doesn't have to fit. You don't have to climb the corporate ladder. You don't have to have enough, enough money or live in the right place or be super smart or whatever things we think we've got to do. If we're good enough, God might use us. If we're smart enough, if we go to the right place, say the right thing, if we definitely don't do the bad things, and if we basically con everyone that we're doing all right and we're good enough and we're holy enough, God might use us. No. God uses weak insignificant people who lack power and influence for his glory. This is great. All he wants is humble and willing hearts. But when he pours out his grace and mercy, we respond in faith and trust, just like Mary did. And if you read on the story, just like Joseph did as well. And so wherever we find ourselves, whatever situation your life is in, wherever 2021 has led you, the true light can shine. The true light can shine in those situations. So wherever your place is, your home, your work, 
your neighbors, your friends, your family, your co-workers, your social groups, the true light can shine through you in those situations. The true light can shine into the darkness. God will use you. He just needs willing, humble hearts. People who cry out to God, say, fill me with your spirit daily and go out and by words and actions, the light of God shines into all and every situation. And so I don't know what your place is. Think about where your place is right now, where you're going to go this afternoon, where you're going to go tomorrow throughout this week. Even if it's your place, is my place is my room and I look at a lot of people on a screen. That's still your place. And God will use you in those situations. Pray daily to be full of the Spirit. Say, Lord, let your light shine. And show mercy, love, and grace to those around you in word and deed. Last thing. The true light was surrounded by the miraculous. When the true light came into the world, it came with divine power. It came with the incredible. It came with the miraculous. We read in that story of an angel turning up. We read about a virgin birth, some things that just cannot happen outside the power of God. We know, as we read our Bibles, that when the true light came into the world, he fulfilled prophecies that were hundreds and hundreds of years old, talking about his life, place where he was going to be born, what he was going to do, even how he was going to die. We see angelic messengers announcing his birth time and time again throughout the story. He was born by the power of God to a virgin. A star in the sky shone and led wise men, foreigners, to the place of his birth so they could worship him and offer gifts to him. We saw, see in his ministry, we see his power over creation in multiplying food, turning water into wine, calming a storm, walking on water. We see his power over the spiritual realms in time and time again, dealing with demonic powers and people under the sway of the devil and him banishing them with a word. We see his power over life and death, in healing after healing after healing, and then even raising the dead. We see his power over sin in offering men and women salvation and forgiveness of sin. We see his power even when the true light died on a cross, was buried in a tomb, and then three days later, he rose bodily from death and appeared to his followers. Then he ascended into heaven and sent the Spirit on his people. And the true light now dwells with his followers here today, with us, in you, in his church And his spirit is alive and well. And when the true light shines, the power of God breaks out. And it breaks out in so many ways. In God's power over um, creation, God's power over sickness, and ultimately in God's power over sin and death. When he transforms men's lives. When they put their faith and trust in him and they move from death to life. When they repent of their sin. When they say, God, we want to follow you. And we don't want to live our own way. We trust you for all the things we've done wrong and we seek your forgiveness and God's light shines in those situations and men and women are transformed so if you are a believer here God's light shines through you the true light is with you and wherever that place is you go to you can take heart that God is working out his purposes you can think about those people you meet and those people you see and those people you interact with and you can know that God's light will shine through you and do the miraculous in their lives. As you pray for them, as you love them, as you care for them, God's power is at work. And so I don't know what your situation is, but I'm going to pray now for you 
that God's light would shine through you, that that true light would be demonstrated. And you have a choice to make, and your choice is, are you going to trust him and put your faith in him? Which is really all Mary had. God's grace was poured out, and all Mary had to do was respond in faith. I'm your willing servant, I'm your humble servant. And so I'm just offering that to you now. Are you going to respond in faith as a humble servant of God? And I'm going to pray for God's power and the light of God to shine on you. Amen? Okay, stand up. Thank you. That sounded a little overly aggressive. I'm sorry about that. (laughs) Please would you stand if you can. (laughs) Yeah, come on, John. The band, come on, get ready. I'm just going to pray. Lord, no. Wait, you want to just open your hands, open your hearts, and I want you to make a decision now in your heart. I'm going to respond to this. I'm, going to just, I'm just going to respond in faith. And faith is simply a yes to God. Yeah, I trust you, Lord. Yeah, I love you. Yes, I want to serve you. And I'm going to pray for the power of God to come upon you. So maybe you want to open your hands, close your eyes, and I'll say, Lord Jesus, we want to thank you that you are the true light. Lord, we want to thank you that you have revealed yourself to us and we can know you. We can know you because you have revealed yourself to us. Lord, I want to thank you that you use ordinary men and women. We don't have to be super special superstars with curated lives on social media and many followers. We don't have to have big houses with lots of money and flash jobs. We just have to want to serve you and follow you, and you will lose us. Lord, we thank you for your favor that has been poured out on us. We are your favored ones, not because we're special, but because your grace came to us. Lord God, I want to stand here as one of your favorite ones and say, God, I love you. I praise you. I want to follow you, God. I pray, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, Lord. Let your light shine in the places we find ourselves this week. In our homes, in our workplaces, kids at school, neighbors, whatever it is, Lord. And you might even be thinking now in those moments, yeah, but I don't do much. I don't see many people. My life is so ordinary. And I say, great, wonderful. God works and he gets the glory. And so, Lord, I pray, fill us with your spirit. Give us grace to keep going because it's been tough this year in so many places. Lord, give us grace to keep going, whatever comes next year. Lord, we want to be found following you and humbling ourselves before you. We love you and praise you and God's people said, Amen. Amen.